Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renewed Church OC. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Our series, You Are, is about reimagining church as we move into the Brea Civic Center. Our hope is to ask again, what does God want to see when His children gather? I'm pretty sure He's not looking for conversations and connection emotionally with a few kids while everyone else watches them. We're trying to create a culture where everyone is involved and encountering Jesus. You are the worship team. You are a priest. You are part of the body. You are a missionary. All right, welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. You're getting off another opportunity at the end of preaching and to pray and share together with your same group. So I went to someone's house uh, at this church, and um, I won't say who, because they might be offended, but it was a very strange family culture. I'd walk in, and basically this, ki- this family had four kids, and the dad would only interact with one of them. Like, he'd only talk to one of them. It's like that one kid was representing his other three siblings. And I would see him play with his kids. But he would only play with one kid, and the other three are just watching them play. It was so terrible. He would, he would ask only one kid's question, and that one kid would have conversation and connection. I'm wondering, like, is he going to snuggle with this one child, and the other three are just watching them, like, be close? You know who that family is? That family is us every Sunday. <laughs> because there can easily be a stage and audience set up. There can easily be us being reaction videos to the worship team, right? So it's like, how was worship? Well, she's saying, great. Ben looked like he was into it. Someone else was like out of it. And we're just these reaction videos to how the worship team did. We're observing other people connect with the Lord. And it's easy for us to just sit back in our seat and live vicariously through another child. But we're not a concert. We're not about entertainment. We're about all these sons and daughters coming together to connect with their dad. Think about how weird it is for him to be in our service at church and be like, only these three or five people want to worship me. All my other kids I'm not connecting with, they're distracted. They're an audience member. They're not present. And it feels like that family where three kids are obligated to pray and talk to the Lord on behalf of everyone else, right? Four or five kids are connecting deeply with the Lord and everyone else is like, that was great connection time for you. Well done, you know? You really felt like, I think you really had a moment with the Lord and I kind of, I'm just reacting. I'm just a reaction video. When God steps into our worship time, when God steps into our service, I just have this deep belief that he's longing and waiting to hear your voice, to see your face, to have your story interact with him. Token said, a church that can't worship must be entertained, Uh, slide three. And um, I'm, I'm wondering if that's what our church can become in this really nice space where we're just trying to up the entertainment value to compete with Netflix or to compete with gaming, which is pretty much impossible, or whether we're all stepping in saying, I'm not about entertainment, I'm about worshiping the Lord. 
And so that's why last Sunday we actually started our sermon series, and the title was I Am On The Worship Team. And this idea in slide, two slides down, that the father is, again, waiting to hear you. You are his son. You are his daughter. That there's a specific way in which he's been a father to you, that he's not been a father to everyone else. There's a specific way in which he's laced your story with his that no one else can share. We don't have that story. And as he's coming in to watch us worship, as he's coming in to be lifted, you have a specific way in which you're saying, my hope is in the Lord. There's a nuance to him being your father that isn't the way he's the father to the person next to you, right? My first son gives me hugs, and my second son tries to wrestle me to the ground. I love them both. My first son is like a Labrador. I tell him to sit and, and kiss me, and he does. My second son, Levi, is like a wild animal. He'll come in. He does open mouth kisses, right? So he's coming in for a kiss. But you don't know if he's going to give you a wet, sloppy kiss or if he's going to bite your nose. He might bite off your nose, right? So you're just like, all right, wild animal. God, when he sees each one of us, there's something about you about your voice, about your heart, about your presence in front of him that he is longing for. He loves hearing Ben. He loves hearing Grace, Joanna. But, but do you think he's here to just meet them? Do you, do, you, do you think he's here to just hear their voice? He gave his life for you. He brought you into his family. And he wants to see your face. And so as a church, we talked about what worship could look like for us. How in the next slide, there's this stage and slope seating area, right? This is the stage. This is the slope seating area. And what we're conveying very often and easily is that on the stage, next slide, is the worship team. And off the stage is the audience. And we're to observe the worship team enjoying the presence of the Lord. But last week, we talked about how we want to recreate the space. So we wanted the worship leaders. We thought it was going to be on the side, but we decided to scoot it to the middle. We're going to experiment. But we wanted to open up this band around the worship team to invite everyone into, to say that all of us have this responsibility of worshiping God, not just the five people here. And whether we're standing on stage or in the audience, you are his child. He wants to hear your voice. But we're hoping to break this barrier between the stage and the seats over and over again so that you're reminded that you are the worship team, that God wants to hear your voice, that your presence in front of him is significant. And as we are doing this, we're all moving into the heavens, singing with the angels and the nations across time, everyone threading in their story, their experience of God, what it means for us to call him dad, and it comes together. It's unique and the same at the same time. Today, our sermon is, um, I am a priest. So this is our second sermon, and it comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, where he says, we are a royal priesthood. We are a pastor. And again, we have the separation between clergy and uh, partitioners. We have a separation between pastors and kind of regular Christians. But 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says that we're all priests. What qualifies me to be a pastor? Well, I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. But you have him as well. 
I have the scriptures in which I can come open up to the people around me to share his truth. But every day you can sit with the scriptures. I am called to minister to the Lord and to connect people to him. But don't we share that same calling? So today, as we look at Hebrews chapter 3, 12 to 13, I want to give us tangible ways to fulfill our role and our identity as a priest of God. In chapter 12, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. So the first phrase in verse 12 highlighted, it says, see to it, brothers and sisters. And what it's saying is, is the author of Hebrew is calling all of us to examine our own hearts. Is to see our own hearts and to ask, is it shifting away from the Lord? Am I taking a hundred little steps so that me and God are separated? Am I falling into sin and being hardened by it? But then there's a communal instruction as well. Not only are we to examine our own hearts, but we're called to take partial ownership, to shepherd the hearts of our family, of our friends, of our church community. That we see to it that the brothers and sisters around us would not fall into a sinful, unbelieving heart, turning away from the living God. And secondly, in verse 13, it says to encourage each other daily. That's pretty surprising. I thought once a week would be enough. Or Sundays in small group. But this idea of daily feels like encouragement is a necessary part for our spiritual life. Just like sleeping and eating and exercise are things that we should be doing every day for our physical body, that somehow us encouraging one another speaks life to our souls. Have you thought of encouragement that way? Or does it just feel superficial? I remember Dave, he was giving a sermon about like how this one church he visited welcomed everyone through the door. Remember? Hey, nice shoes. I like your shirt. Hope your week was good. You know, just like really, is that the encouragement we're talking about? Like one inch deep and about the sneakerheads? Um, there's something really essential and substantial about encouragement. And in the next slide, we see what encouragement is meant to do. It's meant to help people turn away from sin toward the living God again. This little phrase, living God, is supposed to stand in juxtaposition to sin. That when we turn away from the living God, we turn to death. When we turn away from the living God, we turn to lifeless idols. When we turn away from the God who loves us, we turn to things that hold us in contempt. How do we speak encouragement in a way that brings each other home? That says... You're headed towards death. Come back home. Come back to a father who loves you. And lastly, in verse 14, it says, We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction. What verse 14 is saying is that if you truly gave your life to the Lord, 
if you found his redemption, if you died with him and resurrected with him in your souls, that you will hold on to your original conviction to the very end. That moment where you're standing in the water, sands on your toes, the cold waves are rushing through or trying to balance you. And then me or another pastor looked you in the eye and said, do you confess that you're a sinner? Remember that moment? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Do you want to follow him for the rest of your life? That that conviction, that confession would hold us to the end. And along that journey are a lot of obstacles, doubts and questions, trials, things that try to snuff us out. And it's the encouragement of our brothers and sisters that share in bringing us from where we were when we gave our life to Christ to the very end. If you look at verse 12 in the next slide, we look at some of the things that discourage us from following Jesus, right? A sinful and unbelieving heart, and hardness to sin's deceitfulness. And when we pair that off with people who have let go of their original conviction and fallen away, we think of the weight and importance of encouragement in the community. If you've been Christian for a while, um, you don't have to think too hard to find people that you thought were going to make it, that worshiped hard, that loved Reformed theology, that sat in the bosom of John MacArthur, and then somehow stopped walking with the Lord. Sometimes you stand in wonderment. Sometimes you see them walk in small steps. And sometimes you yourself have walked down that same road. I was sitting um, with Mitchell at small group at the VIP section of our common room, you know, the elevated section with the couch and TV. And uh, Elijah and Kaylee were sitting with us. And me and Mitchell, we've done ministry for 10 years now with Epic and Renew. And we were just talking about this passage and the people that surprised us, the people we thought that would be here, not necessarily at our church, but, but here with us following Jesus. And they aren't. And it's hollowing. And I wonder if we encourage each other, if we could just hold on a little deeper and a little tighter. Here are four ways in which our soul is discouraged. First, we can feel isolated. We can feel like no one understands what we're going through. No one's struggling with this sin. No one understands depression in this way. No one else feels anxious walking into a church for the first time or for the hundredth time and the pastor's making you sit on stage, right? No one understands that kind of social anxiety. Sometimes we could feel isolated because we feel like we can still handle it. We, can, we don't have to share this place of vulnerability with someone else. We can still look good, still maintain our facade, and handle it. Or sometimes we isolate by, by just taking church and saying, we don't need to go anymore. We're tired. We're burnt out. We're dry. But isn't, isn't that, doesn't that mean you need encouragement the most in those moments of your life? Secondly, we can be discouraged by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin always wears a disguise, like Team Rocket. I've been my son's for. Um, why? Because it's ugly on its own, you know? Um, 
And if you pick up sin and it's not disguised, it's death and decay. It smells bad. It's rotting. But it will put on beauty so that our hearts can turn towards lust or self-infatuation. It will take on our job and career and make it and turn our hearts greedy and make it our idol. It will take on relationships so that we give up God for other people. Deceitfulness also tells us that things aren't that bad. Everyone else is doing it. And we make excuses for why it's okay. And that's how our heart starts to harden. Things that used to convict us. Sins that we committed that we're like, man, I went across the line. I'm sorry, Lord. But we do that same thing. And it doesn't bother us. If you go far along enough in your sin, you'll find other people celebrating it. Teaching you how to do it better. Teaching you how to cause more violence to your heart, saying that it's okay, just accept this sin in your life. Lastly, we can come to a place where we totally turn away from the living God and we don't believe that he is good or truthful or have have our best in mind. I remember for me, I got really into playing poker I, I actually started it because of my church community. Thank you, church. Uh, thank you for a new addiction. I didn't have enough. So we'd sit around the poker table. No, it was actually really great. Play for two bucks, do some push-ups when we lost. But I started beating my friends, right? I'm like, you guys are losers. Why are you going all in on, like, offsuit kings, right? Just kidding. That's a good hand. And um, anyways, I went to San Manuel Casino, and I was like, I'm going to see if I could hang with the regulars. And I play, put $40, no limit. I walked away. 12 hours later was $640. I 15X'd my money. That's like Bitcoin from 2000, right? 2020. And I was like, I'm a poker god. This is my new calling. And um, I'm going to do it for the Lord. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to support missionaries. It makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, I'm going to talk to people about the Lord next to me. I'm, I'm I'm an evangelist. I'm a missionary on the poker table. And I remember a time where God was turning my heart back. He was convicting me. I stood in front of an ATM machine. I remember a woman opening up her wallet. And she, it was lined with credit cards, one after another, from banks I've never heard of. She put one in, uh, out, put it in the machine. Nothing came out. Put another one in the machine. Nothing came out. She did that 10, 12 times. And God's like, is that where you want to be? And I said, no, Lord. And then I pulled out $100 and played poker for another 15 hours. You know you have a problem when you're sleeping over at the casino. So, oh, by the way, this is like 15 years ago. Go ahead and tie today. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that later. It's not, it's not now. It's not, that wasn't yesterday. Some of you guys are like, was that yesterday? No, no. I was with my wife yesterday. But while she was sleeping, just kidding. All right, four ways of encouragement. So what does encouragement look like in relationship to discouragement? If discouragement is about isolation, encouragement is about giving each other our presence. Saying, you're not alone. I'm wrestling with that same addiction. Let's fight it together. You're not alone. I've walked through depression and there is hope. You're not alone. I have those same doubts. Let's read C.S. Lewis together, right? And, and to be present through the ups and downs of each other's lives. 
We can't be present unless we show up. We can't be present as a visitor to a small group, half committed. We need to be encouraging each other today. Secondly, to encourage each other in truth instead of deceitfulness. It's very hard to identify lies on your own. It's very hard for your brother, your sister, your friends to know that they're lying to themselves. You need someone from the outside. You need someone looking in and being like, man, that relationship is toxic, you know. You didn't do drugs before, now you are. And they're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know. You, there's, there's something about your friend speaking outside of your circumstance that wakes you up to the lies. And it says, give encouragement today. Because when we encourage today, we prevent the continual hardening of our hearts. When we receive encouragement today, we prevent the continual hardening of our hearts. When we're willing to step into our responsibility as a priest. When we're willing to say that your spiritual life is intersecting with mine. And I need to take responsibility for you in grace and in love. And to speak today truth. To gift you presence to, today. It allows for a chance um, for your brother and sister to turn back. The commentary I was reading says this. Today, brother, today, sister, listen to his voice. So that you may not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Making tomorrow's repentance and faith more difficult. Lastly, we're to encourage each other in our stories of faith to one another. When someone's wrestling with disbelief, when they're deconstructing their faith, there's some really legit questions to ask. All of our questions are legitimate. But are we going to people who hate and are bitter towards God and the church? Or do we have people around us encouraging us to put our eyes on him, to trust in the word, and to say that his word is trustworthy in my life? When I was struggling with um, gambling, again, 10, 15 years ago, a long time ago, like totally recovered. Um, but in the middle of it, man, I was getting more and more uh, risk. Like sin, sin never stops, right? It's always addictive. It's always the dare commercial of like, if you start with marijuana, you'll be homeless on crack, right? Every sin has a progression, acceleration, so that we can get a new high. And I was playing poker there were hands that were worth $10,000. That's how in it I was. That that fifth card was worth 10K, whoever won. And I was, I was betting really crazy. And my best friend sat me down. And he said, dude, you're struggling with an addiction. It's taking over your life. And I said, no, you're wrong. I'm tithing my winnings. <laughs> you see that missionary? He's on the field because I'm winning. It's a skill-based game. And we just went back and forth. I'm throwing Bible verses at him, which are not good Bible verses. And then he says, um, if you keep playing, I'm not going to your church anymore. He knew where to cut me. <laughs> he knew where to cut me. He said, I can't follow a pastor who's addicted to gambling. You know, it was such an isolated part of my life. I, would, I was the, um, the small group leader of Ben who led worship. Every Friday, I would preach to him. And as we put away chairs and I got into my car, I would go to the casino and play till the sun rose. There were so few people who, who pulled together my pastor life, my Christian life with my addiction, and he was one of them. 
And I, and I think when he says that he wasn't willing to come to my church, what he was also saying was that you're giving up your real calling and your real destiny for a poker table. You're surrendering what God's called you to do in order to, like, gamble. Sin pulls us away from God's destiny. Sin pulls us away from God's purpose. And I remember when I got married, this brother was standing in my groomsman line. It hurt me at first. I, I did not like hearing that. I was like, maybe I don't need you at my church. I didn't say that. I just thought it. But I thought it really hard. I thought it for days. But aren't those the friends that you need the most? The friends who say that I'd rather hurt my relationship with you than you hurt your relationship with the Lord. I'd rather you be angry with me than you suffer the anger of God. I'd rather us break up as friends than you walk away from Jesus. <clears throat> Do we have friends like that? Are we a friend like that? Have we valued the people around us and their walk with the Lord so much that we're willing to gift them our presence? We're willing to speak truth. We're willing to do it today. You know, just like um, God needing, wanting, waiting to hear you in worship, your brother and sister is waiting to hear from you, to hear the way that you um, are to pastor them, to hear encouragement out of your mouth. You have a relationship with even people in this room that I'll never have. You're their brother, you're their sister, you've walked through the hardest times with them. There's a part of your story that I'll never have. Where someone's wrestling with depression and you can say, I've come out of it. Where someone's wrestling with doubt and you said, I've read these books and, and I feel anchored in the word of the Lord. Where someone feels alone and you said, I've been alone before, but I found Jesus with me. There's something about you pastoring and being an encourager to people around you that only you can gift them. And God has given us to one another in the right time, in the right place to be able to do that. And so that's really why on Sundays we break off into small groups. Next slide. We think, I think of it as priest practice. I think about it as me taking my hands off the wheels. Nothing's going on here. But all around the room, you're being a priest to the person next to you. You're pastoring their heart. You're praying for them. You're sharing your story with them. Man, there's just so many moments where that was the best part of service. It wasn't the sermon. It wasn't the music. It was us praying for each other, holding each other's pain, crying with one another. Here. I remember just two weeks ago, I was sitting with uh, Daniel, and I met a brother and a sister that I'd never met before. But all of us were willing just to put our lives in front of each other in our small time of prayer. The brother, he lost his grandma, who was an anchor to their family. The sister saw her mom go through severe illness and is still recovering. And all of our hearts just were knit together as we prayed. I never met them, but I loved them. And there's so many times where I felt discouraged and someone spoke over my life, called destiny out of me, or said, hey, like, I don't think this is working. And they encouraged me. I remember at small group, 
which is really an extension of those 10 minutes. Like if you love those 10 minutes of sharing with the people around you and praying with them, small groups like two and a half hours of that. Two and a half hours discussing God's word and praying for each other. I remember walking to small group. The Colomas were, were, um, had hosted us in their beautiful kitchen. We're all lined up. Nina's outside on the patio. I'm standing with Jonathan Eggert. And he's like, hey, man, how's your day going? I was like, me and Nina are fighting right now. We need to whisper because you might hear me. We're fighting right now. We're staying six feet apart because I'm scared, you know, not because of COVID. And <laughs> I remember he's just like, man, I get it. Isn't that the way our small groups should be? Isn't that how we should be doing family? The sense of knowing each other in the moment in real time, and encouraging each other to find and walk with the Lord. I love our Bible app. If you want to look for it, it's on our church website. We renovated it. If you under events, we're walking through the book of Luke and Acts together as a community. And there's so many people who contribute. So Everett does like amazing research on random words. And I'm totally learning the Bible through him. Grace puts down real talk about her past and her reality now and the way that God has has like brought her up. Um, Kristen writes her devotionals that are beautiful. Chrissy writes prayers and wisdom. Joseph drops one-liners every day in our Bible app. Kim has integrated her MFT with intimate reflection. Corey has this curious observation of the text that has made me stand in wonder of it. And Joseph Wu has amazing profound insights. And every time I read it, I'm encouraged. Every day we're gathering around God's word as a community. And as we move towards him, we're moving towards each other. I hope that as we practice being a priest in how it defines our friendships here and how it defines our Sunday service in small groups, it teaches us to be a pastor and priest to the other spaces that God's put us in. Your family needs a pastor. Some of them don't know the Lord. Some of them are in toxic relationships. Your coworkers need a pastor. They're chasing after things that you know will, will be empty. They're chasing after things that you know, you know when they get there, they won't be satisfied. Encourage them toward the living God. Your friends need a pastor. For me, I um, am a part of the volleyball friend group and uh, the next slide is my friend Gavin. <clears throat> he passed away three days ago. And this is our second loss. This is our second loss in nine months as a little volleyball community. Uh, we lost Rod. He was about 50 years old to a heart attack. We went to a prayer visual to his memorial service. And we have another one coming up. He's 31. He was drafted in the NFL. These are his kids, like right now. We've played so many games together. We've had so many conversations. And everything I thought about, uh, like, however I judged an NFL player, he was not, right? I thought he'd be cocky. I thought he'd be mean. I thought he'd be too cool for me, which is true. And he had this really tender heart. He spoke with such humility. He included everyone. He was such a great dad to his daughters. And, and he loved the Lord. He's like, man, other NFL players, they would do their thing. I just wanted to play well, love my wife, and walk with Jesus. 
um, yesterday I was with my volleyball crew. And God's just like, go and pastor them. We're sharing our pain, our disbelief. We're talking about how to support the family. But there's spaces in your life where only you can pastor. Where only you have this kind of encouragement. And I pray that all of us would take on that mantle to encourage, to pastor the people around us, to pastor our communities. Here's our, um, we're, we break off again into a time of prayer. And so I'm asking, kind of going back to the same groups, what are, in what ways do you need encouragement today? In what ways maybe do you feel isolated or your heart callousing or deceived and just kind of asking the people around you to pastor you, to, to extend a prayer to those who are sharing, and to just kind of pray for each other. And maybe God would put in your heart and your mind another person in your life that he's asking you to be a pastor to. And you could pray for them as well. Let me pray for us, and then we'll go into our, our groups one more time. God, we <clears throat> thank you for calling us to be priests that we all have this responsibility to minister to you and to connect people to you. There's no more important thing in this life for us to do. God, we just kind of release this time back to you, that your spirit would give us words to speak to and to pray for those around us, and that each of us would also lay out on our hearts, the burdens and the anxieties we're carrying because we all have some, me especially this morning. And I pray that we would minister to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, this is Pastor Wilson again. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If our sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd love for you to consider supporting our church and ministry. As we approach the end of the year, we're asking our church family to consider investing into a special fund that support our interns and seminarians. Renew has a vision of investing in pastors for the next generation through our internship program. And your financial partnership can help set up a young pastor or missionary to faithfully serve the Lord for the next 30 to 40 years. I often dream about what Irwin or Kevin will do for the kingdom of God through their 30s, 40s, and 60s. Our goal is to raise $50,000 over this season. Would you consider joining us? You can give through PayPal or Venmo or by sending a check. All the information is on the description section of the podcast. Or you can visit our website. And your investment is tax deductible. Thank you so much for being a part of our church family. If you're ever in the Fullerton, California area, please drop by into our Sunday service. I'd love to meet you. God bless.